Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to Taking Care of Lady Business, where we put the business back in lady business. Hosted by Jennifer Justice, founder and CEO of the Justice Department, a management strategy and law firm that works with female and woke male entrepreneurs, executives, talent, brands, and creatives to build and maximize their wealth, focusing in the areas of tech, consumer product, finance, media, entertainment, and fashion. Jennifer interviews entrepreneurial women who have done it all, who will be sharing their secrets on all things business, especially as a woman. These highly successful women will share strategies and insights including what not to do and what it takes to win. And now, here's your host, Jennifer Justice. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business. I'm Jennifer Justice. Today, we have Anne Clark Wolf on. She's a founder and CEO of Independent Point Advisors, IPA, as known in the finance world. And she is going to tell us all about what they do, who they are, and you're going to learn a lot. And I know I am too. <laughs> so welcome, Anne. Nice to have you on Huge here. Thank you for having me today. Of course. So let's just jump right in and talk about what Independence Point Advisors is. Sure. Well, I'm thrilled to be with everybody, but we I had a 32-year career across the big Wall Street firms, including Citigroup, J.P. Morgan, and Bank of America. I kept naively thinking that I could play my role in trying to change especially gender diversity in that industry. And with a lot of glass shards in my head, I finally realized that rather than trying to change the industry, there was an opportunity to do something new and different. And so in the middle of COVID, uh, with a lot of time to think about it, I made the decision to leave Bank of America at the end of 2020. I started talking to clients and friends and asking about where the real gaps were. uh, And it created the the company that we launched, which is a woman-owned investment bank that's really meant to capitalize on what I've always believed that diverse teams provide better advice. But as much as the data is obvious that diversity is a positive in almost any business setting, it's just become harder and harder to see it in the traditional industry. So we we launched in November of 2021. Uh, we just completed our first full year and no one would have recommended that you start an investment bank in the middle of the worst economic year in history. Uh, but I'm thrilled to say that we survived and thrived and we have a team of 25 amazing professionals, and we are 93% diverse, but more importantly, it's also a diversity of experience. And so it's not just the optics, but it's actually the skills that people bring to the table. Yeah, that is amazing. Well done. And, you know, I call that like, look, sometimes you have to work in the patriarchal system. That's what it is. You know, it's adds security for people. A lot of people just like to know where they can go every day, you know, and, and, but, you know, ultimately trying to change that system 
is is very difficult and you're moving up you know I was always like feeling I was going up two rungs and then you know sliding back down to like an inch from where I was before and then you know now it's so I'm just hyper focused and I'm, you are too I'm building the matriarchal system building right. the system that works for us and includes everyone who was never included in the patriarchal system so kudos to you uh it's no small feat in particular in the area that you're doing it so let's just and, and, there, and there's an incredible to your point. I think that the world is missing 50% of the talent. I think even Warren Buffett was the one who actually was credited with that comment that why would you ignore 50% of the talent? But as you said, you know, as I've talked to hundreds of women in the past two years, the sad truth is that there are a lot of people who either as being the sole breadwinner or the dominant breadwinner. They know that they're capable of so much more greatness, but they can't separate themselves from the security of these large organizations. And, and I hope to give them a little bit of the confidence to spread their wings. And just as you've succeeded and thrived, we just need to show many more examples that people can do it. Yeah, I know, because it's scary. It can be scary. But, you know, if when I hired my executive coach, who was also a really good friend of mine, you know, she was, she was basically just telling me about like all the things that I was scared of were just limiting beliefs. And there is nothing in my past to prove that, that, that my success would not happen. There was no evidence whatsoever. So why all of a sudden would I not be successful in doing what I've done? It wasn't like I was doing something brand new. You know what I mean? I'm doing what I did for the last 20 years. I'm just only helping women, you know? So well, it's, yeah. I mean, I don't know how we overcome it, but I say it jokingly, but it sadly is actually the actually the truth. I have four hours or more of imposter syndrome every day. Yeah. Sometimes that's like 4am to 8am when I wake up and I'm like, oh shit, what was I thinking trying to do this? Yeah. And, and I think the way that you just articulated, it was really helpful. We succeeded in these other really tough cutthroat environments. Why is it we can't have the faith in ourselves doing that differently? And yet, Every woman I meet feels our own dose of that same insecurity. So I, I don't know how we help each other see beyond it. I do think we're at a tipping point where men like to believe women don't help other women. I think the data is still out, but I think we have an incredible opportunity that if women clients or financial backers or venture capitalists or whatever, if women do come together, we're a force that can't yeah. be beat. And I think we're really close to that point. We're not there yet, but I'm really confident that we're inching closer to it. Yeah. No, me too. I, I think it's just, you know, doing it over and over and over and and in seeing how we're helping each other all the time and there's more women's dinners and groups and time spent. And actually we're focusing on spending that time where before it was just like, oh, it's either like work or family. It's not me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think we're making more time and effort for that and finding yeah. real results um, from it because you know, Me Too is particularly eye-opening because everyone's like, oh, wait, this has happened to all of us. Okay. <laughs> but but, but the challenge, one of the, um, I don't want to say one of the bad things that came out of Me Too, but I noticed uh, a very dramatic change that at the early part of my career at Solomon Brothers, men were great mentors of mine, and they would include me when they would go to the bar, when they mm -hmm. would go to an event. 
And I think they looked at me in kind of a gender neutral way. They didn't look at me like I was a girl. It was just, I was one of the guys. Um, the challenge post me too, and post Mike Pence is I think there are a lot of men who now believe I cannot safely be in a private setting with a professional female colleague. Mm -hmm. And that has huge consequences because we all know that it's that personal rapport and trust that gets typically a male manager to trust you on the big account, to give you the visibility with the client that you wouldn't otherwise have. So I worry a lot about that the next generation is being deprived of that. And the men can hide behind a very convenient excuse of, well, yeah. I don't want any risk of me too. Yes. No, no, you're right. But whenever somebody asks me that, they're like, yeah, and they say those kinds of things, like, oh, we're so scared. It's like, <laughs> it's very simple. If you would not do it or say it in front of your wife, mother, or daughter, then don't do it. <laughs> so like, <true. laughs> really? It's that complicated, you know? So when you're commenting on my boobs, I don't know. Was that right? You know, it's like, it's kind of obvious to me. But um, I, I do deliberately use wives and daughters as yeah. some of the best path to encouraging men to be supporters for what we're doing. Yeah. And what's interesting is that even men with professional wives, they, they're they kind of interested in what we're doing. But the man with a 20-year-old daughter, yeah, he will accept his wife being discriminated against. He will not accept his daughter being yeah. discriminated against. Yeah. So again, I'm excited by that possibility yeah. that the people, these fathers want to see change. Yeah. Th- those are the things I say to them too. I'm like, oh, so your son is better than your daughter? Like what? I'm like, well, then you're a feminist. If you think they're equal, that's that's literally the definition of feminism. You yep. believe that men and women are equal. <laughs> it's like that simple. It's not it's a not, dirty it's word. Not, it's, it's not a four letter word, right? No, it's not. <laughs> Um, all right. So let's get back to the basics. Okay. Yeah. For people who, who, sure. you know, don't really know what is an investment bank? What, sure. does, what does it do? So it's funny that, you know, I always think about it as being straightforward, but think about investment banks as really playing two or three roles. They help raise capital for companies. They take companies public. So when Rent the Runway goes public, they use an investment bank to help advise them and to help them prepare and to sell those securities. When a company chooses to sell themselves and they're thinking about should they grow or should they sell, they call an investment bank to help guide that process, to help put them out into the market in the best possible light. Uh, And so in many ways, investment banks are really about helping these companies and these clients accomplish what they're trying to accomplish. It doesn't need to be a lot more complicated than that, but think about it as raising money and helping them achieve their end game of whether they're ultimately trying to be sold to a bigger company or whether they want to be in the seat uh, to buy another large company. And so there's typically a size for this company, right? Like, yeah, what level of companies are you working with? So this is a place where I get accused of being an overly ambitious woman who probably (laughs) should be just a little bit more focused, but The beauty of our model is that we do uh, capital raising for the largest companies in the world, whether it's Apple or Verizon or uh, Morgan Stanley. So these large institutions who regularly access the bond market have been some of the earliest, most progressive companies in wanting to include diverse firms that look like ours as part of that exercise. And so... In some ways, those big companies are are a unique element of the market. 
But we go all the way down to we're building out an offering around female founders that's really focused on the woman who has probably raised a seed round and maybe an A, but is candidly left a little bit uh, in the lurch of how is she going to get that business from $10 million to $100 million. Mm-hmm. And What's amazing is the biggest asset managers in the world, and you've seen Blackstone's been a real leader in their their work with Goop and Spanx, but they'd like to buy a company when it has $100 million in revenue and is profitable. That's a very big company. Mm-hmm. We find that you know almost every day I'll meet an amazing woman who's doing groundbreaking work, whether it's in renewable energy, whether it's in a new consumer company. And she's really struggling with how do I get the right people around the table, the right money and investors who are going to help me get to $10 million. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, there's been progress. There are a number of phenomenal venture capital firms that are really trying to focus on supporting diverse founders. But what we find is that there's a big gap between $10 million and $100 million of both advice and even in helping them raise capital. And so we don't have the perfect solution yet because the challenge is to work with a company to raise $10 million is as much work as $100 million. Exactly. I mean, that's that's the problem, yeah. And so the challenge, and you probably find it in your business, is that the work that you or I have to put in to provide really brilliant advice They would love it if we did it for free. We can't do it for free, but we have to figure out what's a scalable model where we could bring these women together, let them really learn from each other and sharing some of their own war stories. And then how can we help them think about if you want to be ready to sell your company to General Mills three years from now, we're going to give you advice that probably no one else is going to be as Uh, patient and willing and is creative in how we think about that. So to answer your question, we really work from some of the earliest stages of companies. Uh, We have deep focus around energy transition, a a really hot, no pun intended, uh, (laughs) an important area, fintech and consumer, where we've got experts in those three areas. And then again, all the way up to these large companies. And part of what we try to marry is can our relationships with the mega cap companies help inform the advice that we can give to these earlier stage founders. We are not a direct investor. We're thinking about whether we could add a co-investing approach over the next couple of years, because we see it as an incredibly important and attractive category. Uh, But the other element to our company is we weave what's called ESG into everything we do. And, And for those who have not lived in in the world of ESG. ESG is the moniker used for environment, social, and governance, really to talk about sustainability and how these companies from the smallest companies to the biggest companies are going to make the world a better place, whether that's the commitments they make to their employees, whether it's the commitments they're making on climate change. And this has become an area that has really permeated every part of Uh, capital raising. And largely because my children's generation, you know, the 25-year-olds don't want their money to go to companies that aren't aligned with their values. So we we take a team of experts in sustainability 
And we use that to help these companies tell their story in a way that improves the value of their company when the buyer can see, wait a second, not not only am I getting this great business, but I'm getting something actually with a great sustainability story that'll help my own. And um, so when you're doing this, so let's just a little recap, investment banks don't invest in companies. Right. Exactly. But right. maybe so, that's why people get confused. They well, get confused, right? It's not like right. VC, private equity, you know, um, exactly. they don't invest in companies. They give advice and help them grow and scale, et cetera. Because exactly. I, I just remember like when Facebook and Google were just exploding and you'd go from like, you know, 10 people to 100 people to like 1,000 to like 10. I was like, yeah. who does this for them? It's crazy, yeah. uh, right? Yeah. Like who helps them do this? How helps them situate themselves in a way that they go from like, you know, dorm room dudes to, you know. And interesting, I um, actually had dinner at one of the Airbnb founders and and he was really interested in what I was doing. And I said, this is what, you know, here you are four guys. And why did you guys think that you could do this? He was like, hilarious and good question. He was like, you know, um, I don't know what I'm doing, said no man ever. Okay. And he goes, and then the other thing is that one of our investors basically made us come every Friday and just sit there in the office and watch and listen and learn, you know? I mean, but but again, it goes back to there's a bravery element uh, that women need to acquire. Yeah. I mean, to your point, you know, I had I interviewed one of the smartest venture capitalists and we talked about the deals he passed on. He passed on Airbnb. He asked his wife, hey, would you ever rent somebody else's apartment? And she's like, no, why would I ever want to sleep in somebody else's bed? Right. But they had the vision, and I, I give Brian Brian Chesney's a phenomenal leader. They had a vision that they then also had the fortitude to kind of stick with that plan. And what's even more amazing is you look at the perseverance that company had through COVID. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's real bravery of how they got the company to the other side. I mean, they were they were really kind of right on the brink of going public. Um, as we went into COVID and just it's it's an incredible story if people haven't focused on it. But I would say most of the women founders we meet and work with naturally tilt more cautious. So when I ask a venture capitalist, why do women not get funded at the rate men do? The number one factor we hear is they lack bravado. They lack confidence. When they tell their story, they tell their story with an air of caution or conservatism because they've been raised to not disappoint. And they would rather only talk about what they know they can deliver. Mm -hmm. The men who come in the room, do you think Adam Newman thought for one minute about what wasn't going to work about WeWork? Um, and again, it's I don't know how we change that because it's a fundamental difference in some ways between men and women, but it really holds women back from raising the same amount of money, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, you know, I have no answer of how we change that. I think I think it's the the person who's giving the money needs to understand that people are different. And, you know, and I think 
actual numbers and data and seeing we now we've all watched every one of the Netflix dramas, you know, about <laughs> and series on it. And I'm fascinated by all of them. I mean, I never understood WeWork. I was like, it's literally, they're like a tenant. This is crazy. Why are people putting all this money in it? They're not even like sharing information with each other. Who cares? Well, there's, you know? and I, I've got to give a shout out to Julia Borston's book, How Women Lead, which I'm almost done with. And it's a phenomenal book, but it's also a phenomenal book because like a good girl, it's rich with data. And mm-hmm. so, but she looks through and I and she interviews a number of these early stage founding women and what's kind of gotten in their way of getting their business plan funded. And I think that there's um, one of the things she calls attention to is that the investors who remain 90% men are looking for pattern recognition. Mm-hmm. And they're looking for a pattern of how they made money before. And that pattern of how they made money before was a guy in a hooded sweatshirt who, you know, was 20 to 35 years old. Yep. So maybe again, optimistically, if they see more women where they have the pattern recognition of these women, make them money. Exactly. That that'll help. Yeah. But we need to accelerate that. And I will yes. give credit there's not a venture capital or private equity firm that doesn't know they need more women investors at the table. They just don't have a, they don't have a quick way of solving that. And one of the things I think we offer at IPA is we bring 25 people to that private equity firm or venture capital firm that can supplement their team and bring that perspective that maybe they're not hearing or not seeing because they don't have it naturally in their own organization. Mm-hmm. No, it's true. I was actually going to say that point too. what you just said. Um, it's like that pattern recognition. We need to accelerate this. We need to get behind female founders who have these great ideas and products and support them, you know, put our money where our mouth is, walk the talk, like buy their products and, and amp them up and then get them to the place that they can have a successful exit and then get on with the next one, you know? Um, and that's all we What's encouraging, and I'm sure you feel this way in the women you work with, there are some brilliant women with brilliant ideas yeah. and great companies. So it's, I think, probably the most motivating thing in my day-to-day experience is, is that opportunity to sit with a company and understand what they're creating. And, and I give them, I mean, if I thought what I was doing was scary and risky, what they're doing is even harder because yeah. they're starting, they're having to build a company from scratch in a way that... Um, that's a big bet. But, you know, I think that the more that we all amplify what they're doing, it really is powerful. So let's talk about that, your journey to doing that. Like you said, you have four hours a week of imposter syndrome. What was like, what were the learnings that you had in starting it? You know, I was somewhat fortunate in that I didn't set out thinking, oh, I'm going to launch a company. When I left Bank of America, like many people. I hoped I would take six months. I hoped I would lose weight. I hoped I would do yoga. (laughs) And, but I knew that if I didn't keep in touch with the people in my network, I would probably be really bad about going back and opening that conversation back up. And it was COVID. So none of us were traveling. We weren't kind of doing the things you would normally do. And I really took inspiration again from clients. And in many cases, it was white male clients who 
were the most enthusiastic supporters that they knew they were lacking a diverse expertise voice at the table, especially around mergers and acquisitions advice. And so it was encouraging to me that being a girl and being a student of research and interviewing 300 people about different ideas, how consistent it kept coming back as this being an opportunity. Now, do I recommend that anybody uh, launch a new business at 56 years old? No. Like, what was I thinking? But to some extent, you do have to get to a point in your own life of being ready Mm -hmm. to take that risk. Yeah. And I do think also for women, I was fortunate. I've always had a phenomenal husband, but my children are also now 24 and 21. So it's a little bit easier to make the decision about what that next chapter looks like when you know that you're that your kids are launched too, and you're not right in the thick of those of those young years. So, you know, in many ways, I was lucky that it kind of organically built on itself. But, you know, I would say the hard part um, and the part that, you know, kind of continues to be somewhat soul crushing is I probably have met with over 100 women in my industry, women who are phenomenal advice givers, investment bankers with deep industry expertise, And they love to hear about what we're doing. And then it's either they ghost you or they can't kind of pull the trigger to kind of be part of of making that change. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, maybe they can help us from the sidelines. But, um, you know, I I definitely had moments of doubt where I was like, is it me? Do they not like me or do they not like the idea? But I think what you realize is that you build a resilience, as I'm sure you had to of, you know, you just keep at it and you keep um, working the problem. You know, I'm a big fan of Matt Damon's movie, The Martian. And whenever I'm having a hard day, it's like I go back to work the problem, work the problem. So are you talking to these women about raising money or doing business with you or all the above? In most cases, it was about as we were onboarding talent. So could we get some of the senior women in the industry to join us at an early stage and really help catalyze this notion of creating the scale of having uh, a lot of different areas of expertise that we can offer clients? And I have to say, in some ways, the younger women who've joined us, they were the really brave ones. A number of them without the economic kind of security blanket were so excited to be involved early on in the change that we're building. And, and I'm just hugely grateful to them. Uh, you know, And we've also been very deliberate in making sure this isn't all women or any all one thing. And so we have a couple of white male colleagues who are even better spokespeople for why they love being part of our team and the collaboration that we create. So I I think diversity has to mean everybody Mm -hmm. um, and not necessarily the notion of just one flavor of that. Oh no, for sure. Yeah. 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 So what are the other things that were like daunting that you did either, either you were happy you did or, you know, you could, or like would have done differently or better. So I think back to the challenge, you know, I was fortunate that we were approached by a partner early on in the discussions. And so it has been written in the press. Lazard came in as a small investor uh, when I was launching the company. I'm eternally grateful to them because that funding and frankly, that validation came at an important point that allowed me to go out and hire 
exceptional talent. Uh, you know, people in the banking industry don't have a startup mindset. If you live in New York City, you need to have a base salary. And so I knew that that was a proposition um, that required the financial flexibility in the first uh, 18 months. That was before the Armageddon of what the year became. So I'm really grateful um, that we had that starting point. I think there still is the question, as every female founder thinks through, of the constant debate of when and how should you raise more money? Mm -hmm. You know, is now a time to be even more strategic and to realize that given how phenomenal the opportunities are, how do you scale that even faster? Uh, I talk about we would love to, in the next two years, think about adding a merchant bank piece back to the investing piece. So a classic investment bank does not um, act as a investor or an asset manager, but you know, you think about the network of these transformative companies, these incredible female founders, if we can bring in the community of women investors and actually create a platform that creates that fund that helps support these companies at that next stage, imagine how powerful that could be. And, and I think about all of the work that Melinda Gates and a number of other, the Emerson Collective, a number of other organizations are doing. But if you want to truly drive the number of female-owned businesses into the next sphere of success, we need to address this funding gap in the market yeah. and give them the women around the table who are going to get them to $100 million in revenue where they can then truly compete with anybody. Yes. You are speaking my language. I agree. I I love all the charitable work they've done. And I just started watching that show Loot on Apple TV. Did you see yeah. it? It's basically yeah. based on Mackenzie and, um, you know, giving to charity. But isn't that that's really like a patriarchal problem, right? A lot of the re reasons why they exist is because of the greed of a patriarchal system yeah. and not like really funding it. And so it's like, where is the money that you, you know, you give blindly $25,000 to a table for a gala. Why won't you yeah. give blindly $25,000 to a female founder, you know, in particular, if you like the product. Yeah. Just, and, and again, there's been a little bit of progress. You know, I think you see some early stage VC firms, but then I think they leave a lot of those companies still needing more. And the assumption is that that these companies then have to compete on a level playing field, probably prematurely before they're really ready for that. You know, the other thing we often hear is that a venture investor, if they hear that we're advising a company, it's a sign of weakness. And yet I view these earlier stage companies as legitimately and appropriately needing way more help yeah. than my billion dollar company does. Like there are a lot of tricky questions when you're thinking about the board composition, the rights you're giving up at an early stage, and that's the place where, you know, I think that it's crazy to think that people shouldn't get as many people in their corner helping them through that critical stage. Yeah. I mean, why why are people looking down on it? Because <laughs> the patriarchal system would say, oh, it's a sign of weakness. If you think you need help with that, you must not have a good product. And my point is, no, it means I don't have the boys network they do. Yeah. So they're so, all so getting help. hundred percent. So I think the, the men are getting help and they're getting help in a very different way. 
the number of women who come to me and say, I don't know how to find the people who back companies like mine. And these are very talented founders, but it's not a social network that you would naturally trip into if you didn't have the benefit that a lot of other groups do. Exactly. You know, I I can even see it now with my son who's nine and my daughter who's nine. It's like, you know, all the guys getting around just like by osmosis talking about <laughs> their work, et cetera. You know what yeah. I mean? And seeing that network happening, whereas the girls are meant to be talking about like, you know, their clothes and hair, you know, it's. And it's amazing, even without you kind of putting those gender stereotypes out, it's uh there's a lot that needs to change. And, and by the way, you know, I have to say I was always a big fan and I think the world has lost focus on it, but I love take your daughter to work day Mm -hmm. because I think that a nine-year-old girl needs to see that there are a lot of different ways women show up to work. Right. And then unfortunately in the kind of PC world we live in, it became, oh, well, you can't do that for daughters. You have to do it for sons. You've got to do it for everybody. And it lost the point that the nine-year-old girl actually doesn't see enough examples when other people probably do. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that's a big part of it, you know? So in all of this, I mean, everything you're doing is so amazing. And, you know, I love that you have like the female founded investment bank. And I love now that we all know exactly what an investment bank does. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, we could, I'm sure, keep you on here forever. But obviously, I want to let you go and continue conquering the world. But, you know, in all of this, right, because you and I in particular were in businesses that is basically dominated by men and you know they've never walked a mile in their shoes as well intentioned they are in some of the advice they give or all of the advice they give you know i've gotten a lot of really shitty advice over the years not knowing what it's like to be the only woman or the other in the room so um tell us what is the worst advice you've ever received So you and I talked about it, and I would agree with the point I know you've made. Women are consistently told, just put your head down, do good work, and you'll be noticed. I have never seen that work once in my entire career. And a woman who does that and toils away silently, she may work far more hours, she may produce phenomenal work, and yet she's still going to be the first one who's going to be laid off at a big investment bank this week when they're doing layoffs because no one knew her. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't see a personality. They didn't know who that authentic person was. I I would say the second part of that is you'll get almost every performance review. And I think Julia does a good job again in her book on this of saying, for some reason, women's performance reviews focus completely on style and delivery points Oh, yeah. I'm so glad you you're brought that up. You're too harsh. You're too direct. You don't smile enough. You're not nice. No one ever says your financial results were better than the 37 other people or worse than the 37 yeah. other people. Yeah. So I don't know how you kind of, my advice would be how do you force in a review to make sure people are actually reviewing you for what should matter? Exactly. Um, which comes back to, I think the most important point, which is be the authentic you. It takes way too much energy to pretend to be somebody else. And you and I both realize that being the authentic us may mean that you do it in a different way and you may create something new and different. And that's what's exciting. But I think that if you're not being the authentic you, 
I think you see a lot of people who are really unhappy and life is too short. You know, it's so good. That's such a great point. We talked about it before and I'm glad you brought it up because I wanted to. But that character, like women get a character assassination instead of performance evaluation. You're like, what does this have to do with my work? Did I do a good job? Oh, people don't like you. Why? Because you're aggressive. What does that mean? How am I aggressive? Because you just talk just like that. That's aggressive. This, this, by the way, I mean, this is an (laughs) enormous, I have an enormous frustration with the women and human resources. And it's, you know, it's probably 80% women and human resources. They're not doing their job by not calling that out. Yeah. Right? That's the core job. And the notion that in so many of these organizations, that still is persisting. Yeah, you know, 30 plus years later, it's just a shame. I think we all can be better than that. And we need we need to be getting people's great ideas and productivity without focusing on uh, I like that the character assassination point. Yeah, yeah. Actually, one more point on that, and then I then I promise I yeah. will let you go. Yeah. But um, I was representing a client, and you know their HR person is actually was a man, and goes back to things that you wouldn't say in front of your wife or daughter. Yeah. Was like <laughs> would kept saying to my client, you know, you're so much prettier in person, your <sighs> eyes, etc. And so one of my um, good friends is a head of HR at a big, very, very male dominated company, and I. I was like, what do you think about this? She was like, stop it. You're kidding. There's no way a head of HR said that. That's ridiculous. And I was like, no, 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 they didn't. Not only that, then another, like, there was another woman that left because it was so uncomfortable and they knew that they were never going to like, get rid of this person. And he was saying the same thing to me. And I was like, stop it. And then I told, I'm friends with the boss of that guy and she promoted him. But imagine, so my company is 93% different. Imagine how freeing it is to be a woman, a black person, an openly out gay man, and not have to deal with that. Right. Yeah. And I'm not saying I'm not saying we're perfect, no, no, but no. I'm saying that by the minority being the majority, I hope it's freeing to let people do exceptional work and do what they're meant to do, which is provide clients with great advice and have fun collaborating, like actually enjoy coming to work because in your example, if the HR person is that way, the the odds of the rest of it changing are probably pretty low. Exactly. Well, this is amazing. And thank you so much. How do people find you in the company? Uh, thank you. So, uh, and at independencepoint.com. Um, we have a website up and running. Um, but I have to say thank you, Jennifer. And it's another wonderful, badass woman who has brought us together. So I have to give a shout out to Desiree. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, it's we need I get no better energy than when I can be in a group of women like you who are open and willing to support what we're doing. And I think, again, it's, it's the sign that we're all so close to this really powerful tipping point. So I'm yeah. really grateful that I am cool enough to be included in your podcast. And I hope I can count you as a friend. Of course. Thank you so much. This was amazing. All right, everyone, look that company up. Uh, keep tabs on Anne. And until next time, I'm Jennifer Justice. Thank you for listening to this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business. <laughs>